everyone. Welcome back to the Ohio State Sport Management YouTube channel. I'm Joe Mullins, and today's guest is Dr. Leanne Lauerhoppe, who is currently an assistant professor of sport management at The Ohio State University. Thank you for joining us today, Dr. Lauerhoppe. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we will kind of hop right in with some questions here. Um, our first question for you today is, can you give us a, a quick description of your education path and then your career journey so far? Certainly. So I went to Anderson University for undergrad. I studied business administration and math economics, actually, back in the day. I didn't know what I wanted to do, so I chose my skill sets, essentially. And I ran cross country and track, and I also was involved in uh, rec sports. So I was the student director of intramural sports. And in the summer times, I worked in summer camps, uh, mostly camps that were focused on economically disadvantaged youth, um, lab youth of color. And so I really enjoyed those sport experiences. And when graduating, still didn't know what I wanted to do, as I'm sure many undergraduate students experience. And I was reflecting back upon my most um, favorite and positive experiences, and they were all sport related. And so I pursued a master's degree at Baylor University in sport management, and I had a graduate assistantship position in the collegiate recreation department in intramural sports. My plan was to pursue a professional career path in collegiate recreation, specifically in the competitive sports area. Love intramural sports, love sport clubs, and I really enjoyed that job. Um, still love working with collegiate recreation. However, career path change in my first year, I took a research methods class as all of our sport management master's students must take, and I loved it, like <laughs> loved it. And I'm sure that you all can relate to this experience and research methods. It was just wonderful. It really sparked all of my intellectual curiosity and my love of learning. I was so excited that I could get answers to so many questions that I had about sport. And so I wanted to explore it a bit further and I chose the thesis route instead of the internship route in my master's degree. And during that time, I had met Dr. Brian Turner at the College Sport Research Institute conference. And we had talked about research. I was presenting research there and he recruited me for the sport management PhD program at Ohio State. And uh, I knew that I wanted research to be a part of my job. I didn't know if that could be within collegiate recreation or something else. I had zero prior experience teaching. So I was like, let's try this out. So I went to Ohio State uh, for my sport management PhD, and I had a specialty in uh, development through sport, recreation, and play, so the human development. I also uh, studied a lot of quantitative research methods, and through my experiences, uh, both in the classroom, learning about the theory of sport um, in my research, and also as a graduate teaching assistant, um, I had the privilege of being in GTA while at Ohio State. I was able to explore and discover my love for both research and teaching, which is what led me to my career today in academics. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks for that explanation. Uh, I, I worked in intramural sports as an undergrad and loved it. I so always fun. tell people to, to go work there if you can. Seriously, it's the best. <laughs> it's, it's very fun. Um, what, what courses uh, are you going to be teaching this upcoming year? 
Uh, this upcoming year, I will be teaching the sport law courses in the undergraduate and the graduate programs. And then I also have the opportunity to teach a class on how to teach at the college level uh, within the kinesiology program area. So I'm excited about a new class to take on. Awesome. That's cool that you're able to kind of go into that other section of the, of the school. That's really totally. nice. Um, are there any topics or courses you would like to teach on that you haven't quite had the chance yet? That's a good question. There are classes I've taught in the past that I would enjoy teaching again, and then some new classes I would love to explore. So as I mentioned, I love research. It's my <laughs> hot button. Like if anyone just brings up a dissertation study, like we like, have an app, right? <laughs> I'm in. Let's grab coffee, <laughs> like debrief. So I really, I just really enjoy engaging in it and mentoring students in it. I've often uh, taught or trained students on research methods through like independent study courses. So one thing I would love to do in the future is to create a, a full-on course, like a seminar style, experiential style learning class where we focus on research methods, but it's much more hands-on in that we take a research project from start to finish. So the students design a project together, we pilot test it, we develop the tools, and we actually implement the study and analyze the results and present it in some meaningful output. So a real hands-on experience for students um, who would want to learn more about it would be very fun and hopefully rewarding for the students as well. And then another class I would love to create someday would be on strategic planning in amateur sport. Uh, it's what I would focus on in my research, which we might chat about in a few minutes. Uh, but I would really enjoy uh, training students on how to go through the strategic planning process of designing a program, uh, planning the stages of implementation, and then how to evaluate the program to determine if you met your initial objectives um, cool. in order to create improvement strategies. I think it's a really important uh, skill set to have that can be applied in any sector of the industry. Um, and yes, those two classes. I think any sector of the sport industry, but also any other industry, I think uh, the employers are really mm -hmm. looking for people that can kind of, you know, you can not only do a task, but you can kind of think strategically and plan uh, mm -hmm. around bigger goals as well. So that'd be, an, that would be an awesome course to, to have available. I appreciate your support. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so obviously you love research. That's, you know, like you said, that's your, that's your thing that kind of gets you going uh, at work. Um, mm -hmm. What are your research interests? Like what kind of, what kind of research have you been doing? Would you like to mm -hmm. do? Oh, Great question. I'm going to try and keep this succinct because okay. <laughs> it could be the rest of our podcast. All right. All right. <laughs> uh, so the research that I focus on is studying how sport programs uh, contribute to health and human development. And I wanted to share where I've been trying to think about and trace back where my research interests started from, because I feel like as scholars, you have this like seminal experience or personal connection to your research that, that fuels it, right? Your passion for this topic. And for me, it stems back to my upbringing, actually, because my parents work for a sports ministry called Athletes in Action. Okay, cool. And yeah, the headquarters are actually in Xenia, Ohio. And Athletes in Action uses sport as a platform to share their Christian faith and beliefs uh, to people across the world. 
Uh, so growing up, I knew my dad was a basketball coach um, and he would take teams across the world and play internationally. And at halftime, they would share the gospel. And so growing up in that environment, I saw how sport was used for something greater than itself. Like I saw how sport was used to, um, to help people develop Personally, to develop spiritually, um, I saw how sport was used for social change to impact the community. And so for me, sport has been always more than just watching it, more than just playing it. I see sport as a, a mechanism for, um, for making a positive impact. And my goal is to, to increase that impact. Um, how can we improve our sport organizations and initiatives and programs in order to um, increase our ability to contribute to the community, um, to social issues, to, um, to health and human development, health specifically, which is a big issue within our country. Um, so I really, really enjoy partnering with organizations to see, to strategic plan and see well, how can we make an impact and how can we continue to improve? That's awesome. I think a lot of people kind of assume, you know, sports are all about money and sales and things like that. And it's yeah. awesome to hear um, someone with interest that, you know, to bring into that development using sport for good. Um, a lot of people are bringing, you know, whether it's to share your faith or your passions, mm -hmm. um, there's a lot more that you can kind of get out of sport than just the self. So I think that's awesome. Yeah. Um, what have been some highlights of your career uh, in academia so far? Oof highlights. I'm going to be honest, Joe. So I am an assistant professor and in our field, we're often referred to as junior faculty okay. because we're fairly new to the field. Sure. Um, I'm in my, I'm going into my fifth year, yeah. right? Wait, sixth. Is it already been? It has. I'm going into Time my flies. sixth year. <laughs> it does fly. Anyways, so still fairly new, and I have a lot of growing and development and future highlights to come. But I, did, I do want to share one major highlight, and that is, honestly, it's being here at Ohio State. I can't tell you what a privilege it is to work at such a prestigious university in a like just reputable, reputable sport management program with wonderful colleagues and students that I get to work with. I mean, it's funny when my husband and I uh, talk about work, he often says that he has never met someone who loves their job as much as <laughs> I do. And I own that because I That's love awesome. my job. And honestly, um, my biggest highlight is getting the job at Ohio State. It is a career milestone that happened a lot earlier in my career than I anticipated and is truly a blessing. That's great. That's really yeah. cool. Um, what are some things you've enjoyed most about your roles, whether it's been teaching or research or, or anything or intramural sports? <laughs> intramural sports. Gosh, I need, I want that to start up again. I need to get in the league or something. Um, let's see. So in my current role, I, First thing that comes to mind is students. It is so fun, so fun working with students. I really enjoy getting to see students learn, like those aha moments, those light bulb moments when something just clicks. Um, see them learn and grow. Uh, I, I really 
I appreciate when students can see how their learning in the classroom translates to their career goals and like are able to like make those connections and then able to apply what they've learned in the classroom to their current internships, jobs, volunteer experiences. Um, I love seeing students be able to achieve their career goals and then even further on in the future, it's so rewarding when as alumni, they give back and they invest as, as mentors into the students and the next generation coming up. It's, it's such a rewarding process to see, but also to be able to be a part of and, and have a role to play. Uh, so I think you'll probably get that from every faculty member in our program is that students are our favorite part of our job. And so, I mean, the interesting part is now with COVID, how can we, how can we engage? How can we connect? How can we create these experiences with students is really what's been in my headspace this summer. So yeah. that's it. Yeah. Love that. I kind of Sorry. That kind of leads into our next question. I didn't send you this question, but how do you feel oh, about the current kind of environment about teaching uh, over Zoom uh, during these kind of kind of strange times? Oh, good question. Well, I think being Zoomed out is a real thing. That's yeah, for I sure. I agree. <laughs> right? I've done some research on online and blended learning, and I do find, uh, from my research, I've found that students can achieve comparable, perhaps even greater learning outcomes through the online learning technologies that are available. So I have hope in the learning experience that we can create for our students um, through online technologies. However, I do believe that it is going to take a lot of intentionality um, from teachers to really utilize uh, technology well. I mean, there's one thing with just having a Zoom lecture once a week and a quiz, right? Like there's, that's, there's that way of teaching or there's like really looking into all the different apps and tools to facilitate interaction and experiences and, you know, video, audio, text discussion or um, simulations. I really think if you can get creative we could come up with, sorry, there's a bee. No, you're fine. <laughs> I'm outside, folks, by the way. <laughs> um, I think uh, we can accomplish a lot, but the tough part is the learning curve. Like we were chatting about, Joe, um, with your job previously, there, there can be a big learning curve. I'm in a course design boot camp for online courses this summer, and it's been fantastic. We have... Uh, lessons every week, homework every week. I'm learning a lot, but it can get a little overwhelming um, to transfer a class online. So yeah. I that was a lot the longer, to say, Like the longer you've been teaching in a classroom setting, I feel like it, the harder it might be to like make that transition when you're so used to being face-to-face. -face. Uh, it's definitely just a new thing, I, I would yeah. think. Totally, especially if it's a class that you've been teaching in the in-person setting for a long time. The nice thing about that, class I had mentioned that is new, the teaching how to teach, mm -hmm. is that it's the first time I've ever taught it. So I can conceptualize it through a hybrid or online mode, but it's tough when you're kind of stuck to your ways of like, oh, this works so well. Yeah. <laughs> how, do I, how do I create this experience online when most likely you need to do something new instead of just like 
fit a was a round peg into a or square peg into a round hole. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. One of the things I really enjoy about the program is that there is a lot of like experiential learning that goes on and it's not just kind of sitting and, and hearing a lecture and taking tests. There is a lot of like do this project outside of the classroom. Mm-hmm. Um, so it'd be interesting to see how the, the faculty is able to kind of continue those type of mm-hmm. really important like experiences um, mm-hmm. for growth and job growth. Um, so it'd be cool to see how that kind of kind of evolves this year. Totally. I, yeah, I'm com- I completely agree. Um, and it's a co like learning is collaborative. So mm-hmm. we welcome suggestions and ideas from students as well to make it a meaningful experience for you. For sure. Um, so the next question we have is, um, how do you see the field of sport management just in general changing over the next couple of years? Hmm. Honestly, I feel like my answer is quite influenced by what's happening with the pandemic. I may have said something differently in January. Uh, with, with the stay-at-home order, with a lot of people working remotely, uh, there are going to be more demands for information literacy, media literacy, and technology literacy. So the, the skill sets that uh, students graduating are going to need to have are, are kind of shifting to more of a technology emphasis. Um, so I think that will be more and more important um, to be able to engage in a technology age. Along those lines with the, well, currently with the health risks of engaging in sport participation, there, I anticipate continued growth in esports as well as like virtual reality experiences, um, ways to stay connected in sport and in active or interactive manner, um, but potentially from a distance. Um, I've also seen, now this is more discussing in the near future, um, but I have a lot of colleagues in recreational sports and it's been fascinating to see how creative the recreation and fitness industry has become Mm -hmm. in terms of engaging the population. Because one concern that myself and a lot of colleagues have is our country already struggles with uh, sedentary behavior during discretionary time. And I don't know if you've been experiencing this, but I am sitting a lot when I'm working at home, (laughs) right? A ton. And so there, we're already a society that struggles with inadequate physical activity and we're seeing increases in, in sedentary behavior. So it creates a new challenge for um, those in the, I would say, recreation, fitness, and leisure industry to creatively engage people at home in order to uh, try and, you know, help them be active, uh, such as just functional movements and activities that can bring your heart rate up and hopefully get you moving around. Yeah. So I think a lot, a lot of creativity um, will be needed. But also, well, another concern that I have, in addition to physical activity, not to be a downer, but um, is with access issues. I mean, even prior to COVID, there were issues of access to sport opportunities for those who are economically disadvantaged, for example. And my fear is that the divide is going to be greater um especially as opportunities potentially decrease and so my hope is that board organizations um, are proactive and take initiative in equity and inclusion and really 
trying to serve the underserved populations who are probably in greatest need for physical activity programming. Yeah, that's, so that's some thoughts that come to mind. Those are really important issues. I, I uh, did a review of a paper for Dr. Story's class this past year showing mm -hmm. the divide of the money spent um, mm -hmm. versus like underprivileged areas versus like privileged areas, if you, if you want to use those terms. Um, and it's definitely been growing. So, and I don't think COVID will help, will help that. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how, how people can help solve those problems for sure. Definitely. Um, what's your advice to the incoming grad students? And this is kind of a, you know, you could you give some pretty generic advice here, but there's definitely like uh, this group of incoming grad students is going to have a little bit more of a weird time than, than probably yeah. most did in the past. Um, just with most courses being online and, and whether or not you even, you know, need to be in Columbus or not in Columbus. So, what kind of advice would you, would you kind of give to the incoming grad students this year? Totally. Great question. Yeah. It's, it is, it's like, where do you start kind of yeah. thing? They're not um, in a great, great situation, but it's. <laughs> yeah. You're in a, you're in a bit of a tough spot and need to be strategic as you pursue career entry. Um, I think I have, a, I have a couple of suggestions that come to mind. One is to find your competitive advantage. Um, I can give an example. So when I was a grad student at Ohio State and I was a graduate teaching assistant, I had the opportunity to uh, pick what I wanted to teach by like my second or third year. And I knew I wanted to go into a faculty position. So I knew that I needed to gain teaching experience in general. But I was thinking through at the time, I was thinking through how can I make myself the most marketable so that when I go on the job market, I'm competitive against everyone else who's applying for the same job that I am. And so I thought through, all right, what are the classes that are the least popular to teach, <laughs> right? There's always some. And so there are a few out there and research actually supports this. Uh, and some of those classes are like sport law, for example, and sport finance is another example. Topics typically that are dry, very technical, and can be challenging to teach. Um, you'll notice on job applications and job like position announcements that those are frequently cited classes that mm. they're wanting someone to be able to teach because not other people want to teach it. So anyways. I, I chose to teach sport law when I was in grad school. I was trained by a lawyer on how to design the class and teach the class. And it has become one of my biggest competitive advantages, to be honest. It's worked really well when I've been on the job market looking for jobs because that's often a class that people are looking to fill. So in the same vein, what is, in whatever your industry is um, that you're interested in pursuing, like what is that skill set, task, role that is less is of less interest that other people might not want to fill it doesn't mean that that has to be your entire career and position but like what is that one thing that you can add to the team to make you an invaluable team member that gives you the competitive advantage because you can fill a needed gap that other people do not want to fill so that would be one suggestion thinking about what's your competitive advantage. Another suggestion would be to look for transferable opportunities and experiences. Um, one thing I've noticed when working with students is that often students have a very specific niche area in the sport industry that where they want to work. Um, might be like marketing for a professional 
sports franchise, or it might be compliance within a collegiate athletics department, very clear career goals, which is a good thing. However, sometimes if your focus is this, right, in your niche market, you may pigeonhole yourself, put all your eggs into a basket, and what if there aren't job opportunities at the time when you need a job? And so I strongly encourage all students to consider, well, what, what are the skills that you are wanting to engage in in your career and where can you gain experience and development of those skills? Because if you're interested in marketing for a professional sports franchise, guess what? You can gain marketing experience in so many other contexts that might have totally. available openings, right? And then you gain the experience, you gain the skill set, build your portfolio, and it can easily be transferred back into sport when there is an opportunity that arises. So really you're just working to not pigeonhole yourself, but um, think outside the box and look for other opportunities such as like, I'm a big advocate for community and rec sports has so many um, opportunities that I think are potentially not considered, um, but can easily be transferable. Yeah, some of the less less glamorous. I think you may have used yes. sort of a good word for the sport law and sport finance. And some people might not want to work in rec sports, but you kind of develop some skills that you can use later on in your career. Uh, mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, as we've been interviewing a lot of our alumni this summer, that's one of the number one things that they responses to that question is don't 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 get pigeonholed into one thing. Like if you can go work somewhere else and gain skills, like you're going to be able to enter re-enter sports at some point if that's kind of what you want to do in mm -hmm. the long run. So that's awesome. That's awesome advice. Nice. Um, we haven't really talked about this, but who, who's, you know, you talk about Dr. Me and Dr. Turner and things like that. And he kind of uh -huh. helped you on your way to Ohio State, but yeah. who has influenced you kind of the most in your career and how have they been able to do that? Oh, good question. Well, I would certainly have to say my mentors, my, my core mentor group has influenced me the most in my, in my career. So that would include, uh, I have to name drop because they're amazing people, uh, Dr. Jeffrey Peterson at Baylor University, uh, Dr. Anderson um, Butcher at, um, she's at Ohio State in the College of Social Work, and then uh, Dr. Brian Turner and Dr. Donna Pastore. Those are my, that's my crew, my mentor group. And <laughs> honestly, Joe, I could not have, I could not get to this position without them. Uh, they, over the past decade, they have provided me with counsel. Um, they have trained me. Um, and I've learned so much under their tutelage. They have answered all of my questions, <laughs> constantly asking them questions. Uh, they have provided great advice, great guidance, um, and support when I've been struggling. Uh, and so would certainly identify those, those four individuals as being essential in my development and continued development. Going back to highlights, one, I cannot emphasize how amazing <laughs> it is to work in a pro, at a school and in a program where my mentors are. I learned That's here amazing. and I write, like I get to develop here. I feel so well supported and it's just a great place to be. So as for students, I mean, if you can find mentors that are willing to come alongside you and help train you and guide you and support you, 
it's it's huge to your development and just experience that's awesome that you have like a group because i'm sure that they all have different experiences from each other so they'll probably you know have different advice for you depending on the situation that you're in that's a really good point. Um, so it's cool that you have more than more than one person that you can kind of lean on because I, I know mm-hmm. they probably have drastically different backgrounds and, and mm-hmm. how they would kind of give you advice. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so uh, this has kind of been, uh, I don't want to call it a hot button topic uh, as of late, but um, with the George Floyd murder and some things that have happened since, um, mm-hmm. race and equality have been like a huge issue just in mm-hmm. society um, and, and rightly so. Um, but what role do you see uh, academia playing in furthering the conversation uh, that's been started and is happening uh, and making really positive change when it comes to the race and equality issues? Mm-hmm. Yeah, a very important and timely topic for sure. Mm-hmm. So when thinking about higher education broadly, uh, two of the primary purposes of higher education is knowledge creation and knowledge transmission. And I feel that we can... Um, contribute to uh, to this issue of diversity, equity, and inclusion through those primary foundational missions of higher education. So in thinking of knowledge creation, that often occurs through our research and our scholarship. And uh, as a university and um, the faculty within, I believe that we have the, the tools uh, to be able to further the conversation of, well, what are these issues? Like what, uh, because a lot of it is systemic, right? So how can we identify the systems that have been furthering these issues of um, inequality and discrimination and racial prejudice? And not only can we, through, through research, through study, uh, learn about it, understand it, have a better idea of what the issue is, what's contributing to the issue, but we can also be a part of the um, process of determining, like, what are the solutions? What are the strategies? Um, and I, I love when I get to see faculty writing really important articles in news media, white papers, op-eds, being a part of um, policy guidelines and development. Uh, I truly think that um, the faculty and staff at the university can really play a role in figuring out how to tackle these issues. So that's from the knowledge creation standpoint. And then from the knowledge transmission, through our, our teaching and our service, we have such a wonderful wonderful opportunity to bring these topics up in discussion in our classroom uh, to help the next generation of students become aware of issues that they may or may have not personally experienced to learn about these issues and to collaboratively strategize about how in our industry um, how we can tackle these issues, how we can, like through hiring practices, how can we make our, uh, our staff more diverse um, through issues of like program design and access issues? How can we be more inclusive of those who may be disadvantaged? Um, just thinking through policies, practices from like a real world hands-on practice standpoint like we get the opportunity to train those who will be in the industry um, 
and en engaging um, these issues on a daily basis. I don't know if that makes sense, but I, I just, yeah, totally. yeah, I think we, there are a lot of different avenues to be a part of the conversation. Um, and I'm so thankful that it is a priority and it, it, that we're seeing momentum. And my hope and prayer is that this conversation continues uh, and that we build and that we actually see real change. That's awesome. I think uh, co colleges in particular have a really, especially a place like Ohio State that is a land grant institution. And in theory, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it, the purpose is to give everyone an opportunity um, mm -hmm. to attend school. Um, there's just a lot of people that you'll find in the program that have different backgrounds, uh, maybe not as diverse as, as you might like, but I think it's kind of a good starting point um, mm -hmm. to kind of start that conversation. Like you said, as you're kind of growing the next generation of, of leaders, especially in the sport industry. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Um, kind of moving on from a you know very important, very serious topic to some to some kind of fun yes. fun questions. Yeah. Okay. Um, um, what do you do when you're not teaching, researching, writing? Oh. Um, kind of when you're in your free time. Well, first of all, it's hard to for my husband to get me away from research, teaching, and it's, writing. It sounds like it. <laughs> I love it too much. It's great. Uh, so outside of those times, uh, my husband Brian. Uh, and I like to, I pointed this way because he's like right over there. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> we like to spend time with our families and friends. Uh, first, certainly interesting doing it social distance and masks mm -hmm. right now, but still enjoyable. Um, I really like to read. Uh, however, it's more of the like Harry Potter variety cool. in my free time. <laughs> and then uh, I'm a pretty avid runner. I ran cross country and track through college. And I'm usually training for a couple of marathons a year. So oh, wow. that's, cool. yeah, it's a great time to just think and clear my head. Nice. Uh, yeah, that's usually what I like to do. Um, do you have a favorite food or restaurant in Columbus? Hmm. <laughs> There's a lot of them. So that's the tough part. Uh, well, Friday night is pizza night in the Hoppy household. Okay. And though uh, Brian is from Chicago, so we do miss deep dish. However, Harvest Pizzeria, I don't know if you've been there. I have. But it good. hits the spot. <laughs> very good. <laughs> what's, what's your favorite Chicago pizza? This might be, might be more of a hot button topic. <laughs> uh, thankfully, it's an easy one to answer because we do have a go-to. Uh, Lou Malnati's is okay. typically, we tried several, but that's, that's our favorite. I think Gina's East might be my favorite. Really? I think that I might, mean, be my, might be top, my go-to. Top three for sure. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Uh, we talked about some of your kind of professional mentors, um, mm -hmm. but who, who is your role model? My parents, hands down. Uh, so Dave and Pat Lauer, they are wonderful. I like they're the epitome of servant leaders and I've never met anyone who is more generous with their time, their talents, and their treasures. I mentioned how my upbringing has impacted like my scholarly interests, but my, my parents have impacted my character, like who I want to be as a professor, like my civic engagement, like my community involvement. Um, Yes, I'm going to get emotional. They're wonderful. Oh, that's and fine, that's fine. Yes, have been a very positive influence. That's awesome. That's mm -hmm. always great to hear. Yeah. Um, who was your favorite sports team growing up? 
Well, uh, so I grew up in Cincinnati, and gosh, Bengals and Reds have been hard to be a fan of for (laughs) For a a little while, right? (laughs) Reds, who knows? We might have a good year. Kind of excited about that, but it's been rough for us. (laughs) So uh, thankfully, it has never been difficult to be an Ohio State fan. Uh, So my family, we have been Buckeye fans for since I was little, even before any of us went to school there. And so very serendipitous that I get to work here right now. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, the uh, Reds have some chance. I don't know about the Bengals. Hopefully the Bengals with the new quarterback will do a little better this year. I I hope so. (laughs) Uh, Do you have have an all-time favorite sports memory? There's something you got to participate in or something you got to be a part of or watch even? Sure, 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 sure. Hmm. I I feel like I have a favorite sports memory as a participant and as a spectator. Okay, let's hear them both. Both Okay. (laughs) So the participant one's probably more entertaining. Uh, when I was a young kid, so I have two sisters, my older sister, Dawn, and I have a twin sister, Danny. And when I was a young kid, uh, we were at an age where all of us could play on the same soccer team because like any age could play. Anyways, so we were playing in a soccer game and I remember there was a penalty kick that was awarded to our team and Uh, It was an indirect kick, and I happened to be the one closest to the ball. So obviously, I want to kick it because I'm a kid. (laughs) And I, so it's indirect kick, the whistle blows. I'm like running full speed to the ball. I basically have the mission of trying to score a goal, not remembering what an indirect kick actually is. For those of you who don't know soccer, it needs to be touched by someone else, (laughs) right, before it can go into the goal. Anyways, so I'm running up trying to kick the ball and like everyone's like freaking out because they know I don't know it's indirect. And so I hear like my team yelling, indirect kick. (laughs) And so I hear it right as I get close to the ball and have the wherewithal to run over the ball and I kick it back behind me. And it just so happens that my twin sister, Danny, was right there and she kicked the ball into the goal team goes wild and everyone thinks it's like some twin telepathy thing (laughs) which is not it was coincidence it's a really good fake out on your part (laughs) right i mean it worked for us that was a really fun experience (laughs) that's cool and then spectator uh so brian and i got married last year and we went to brazil for our honeymoon and while we were in brazil we went to uh the uh, one of the, I forget the name of the club team, but we went to uh, a soccer match of like the biggest club in Brazil. I think they were playing Columbia at the time. And oh my goodness, like the most amazing sport experience I've ever been in. You know, when you go to a crew game and there's that like section in, of the like, yeah, fans the, the who are like, yeah, yeah, yeah who are like super rowdy. Think of an entire stadium where every single person in the stadium is like that. Like we were standing the whole time, yelling, they're screaming Portuguese, I don't know, and I'm screaming it back. And like, we just like, it was amazing, like rowdy, like dancing drums, like crazy. It was awesome. Oh my goodness. I wonder if you were a flamenco. Yeah, yeah, I wonder who the team was. Probably, actually, that sounds familiar. They're pretty yeah. big, but there's yeah. a, uh, obviously in Brazil, everyone's yeah. pretty big. Right. It's so fun. That's cool. That'd be amazing. That'd be really, right. really cool. Oh. 
I've been lucky enough to attend USA Mexico a few times and it's been, really? it's uh yeah, it's one of the cooler, cooler sporting events I've ever, ever been a part of. Oh, that'd be awesome. Um, our last question, if you weren't working in academia, researching, teaching, writing, uh, yes. what would you be doing? Hmm. That's a hard one because I'm like all in, yep, in the totally. academia, like love it so much. But I think if I had to think of my passions and my skills, I would probably pursue a job in collegiate recreation. It's, uh, I research a lot in collegiate recreation. It's where some of my background experiences are in. And specifically, we'll probably look into assessment just because I really enjoy the strategic cool. planning and evaluation process. Awesome. So, yeah, plan B. Plan B. Still with sports, though. That's, that's yes, good. <laughs> definitely. Cool. Well, thank you so much for your time today. We, you know, we appreciate your time. It's been awesome to meet a lot of the alumni and then obviously some of the faculty as well. I appreciate um, the opportunity. Absolutely. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in today to the SMA YouTube channel. And we'll see you all again soon.